0: Hello, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to the Next Step Press podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is a bonus episode that goes along with the book, When From Death I'm Free, a hymn journal for Holy Week. We already heard from Kip Fox this week about his song, On That Morning, and I got to preach on that same theme, the same Genesis 3 reading for worship this last Wednesday night. I happen to be sitting in the parking lot of the Big Bee Coffee here downtown Fenton, Michigan on North Leroy Street. But the recording happened on Wednesday night at Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church in Brighton, Michigan. Hi, I'm Justin. You knew that already, but uh, there's a, some tricky names and things going on in the Genesis reading today. So I thought I'd start by just talking about some names and what's going on. If you, if you got the extra handout tonight. You see a coloring sheet on the the front. You can do that perhaps at home later tonight. But inside is the Genesis reading, and if you just track with me here, there's some names that are kind of important to what's going on in the story to understand. You see, I want to talk about failure tonight. But I also want to talk about the Jesus who enters into our failure. And to get there, we got to kind of go a little bit blow by blow with the text, at least in the first part here. So so Genesis 3, verse 12, The man said, and you can circle the word man if you've got this. Circle the word man there. It doesn't even say Adam in Genesis 3. It says Adam earlier. The man said, The woman you put here with me. He's blaming the woman. He's also blaming God. Notice he doesn't call her Eve. Circle the word woman. This is man and woman. Uh, this is ish in Hebrew and ishah. Eve is the woman. She's called ishah because she was taken from the ish. Remember, from the man came the woman. And if you think that's not cool, then know that Adam comes from the word for dirt. Adam came from Adama. Woman came from man. Man came from dirt. I think we're all on even footing here. This is sin entering the world and because of sin, death and brokenness, as you skip down a few verses, you see now the Lord God, Yahweh God, trying to get to the bottom of, of how this could have happened. And you see God speaking to the serpent. Now, this serpent, this tempter in the Garden of Eden is a very kind of mysterious figure at the beginning. We all know who he is because we've read to the end, but you don't actually get until Revelation chapter 20, the identification of this serpent, this snake, with the dragon who is the devil, who is Satan. So you read to the end, you know what's going on, but he's kind of a mysterious figure at this part in the story. There's the serpent, and God is talking to the serpent. That's important to remember when this first gospel shows up, who God is talking to. God is talking to the serpent. He curses the serpent, and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Circle the word enmity, would you please? You know what enmity means? It means warfare, warfare, It means broken relationship. It means animosity. Understand this. At this point in the story, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, are in cahoots with the devil. They're on the same side. The first part of the promise is this. I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Because right now you're on the same team. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Would you circle the word offspring, please? Sometimes you get this word offspring translated as seed. This is the seed of the woman. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he, circle the word he and write capital S seed next to it. Hi, my name is Seed capital S seed, he the seed will crush your head, serpent, and you, snake, will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now before we're done, you need to circle the word crush and the word strike because it don't mean what you think it means. You know, I remember growing up, I, I always thought this meat meant, you know, the, the bad guy, the snake, all he's going to do is a little boo on the heel. There's a, widow, it's a little flesh wound. And I, you know, the seed is going to stomp this. Guess who's going to win? That's not quite what's going on here. You see, if you're going to kind of crush the head of a venomous snake, where do you think that venomous snake is going to bite you? The pinky? <laughs> the cheek? Probably right in the heel, and what happens if a venomous snake bites you in the heel? You die! Good answer! I saw you raise your hand and you were going to say you die, weren't you? I know you're... You die! Yes! A venomous snake bites you, you die! And if you crush a venomous snake's head, what's it going to do? It's going to die! These are two death blows. If we're keeping score, in fact, you could write this down to Right, one to one. The question here in Genesis 3 isn't who's going to deal a death blow. The question is who's going to get back up. The answer is the seed of the woman. This verse is called the first gospel, the proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first, evangelium meaning evangel, evangelism, gospel, proto-evangelium. This is the first, gospel, the first gospel promise. And there's some evidence even in the text that, that the man and the woman understand this as a gospel promise. You see, it's right after this that Adam, for the first time, calls the woman Eve. <laughs> he used to just call her woman. Back in paradise, when things were perfect, he just said, Hey, woman, how are you doing today? <laughs> it's after the fall into sin, but more importantly, the first promise that Adam calls her Eve which is a word for life or living, he says, I will call her Eve because she is the mother of all the living. She just helped usher death into the world. And Adam says, because the promise, I will call her Eve, mother of all the living. There's evidence that Adam believed the promise of God. There's evidence that Eve believed the promise of God. After Adam and Eve have their first kid, she says something kind of complicated in Hebrew. This is some of the oldest Hebrew we have in the entire Bible. And she says something that in your Bible probably gets translated something like, I have had a man with the help of God. Or with the help of God, I have had a man. But in Hebrew, it just says, I have had the, the man God. She heard the promise, the promise of a seed, and offspring that would crush the serpent's head, and after her first child is delivered, she says, I've had a God-man. I think maybe she believed. Uh, Of course, she was wrong. That child ends up killing his brother, and things go from bad to worse and on down the line, But, but this promise to Adam and Eve in the garden, this promise of a seed continues it continues down to Abraham, who was promised that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth was, would be blessed. It continues on from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who all received that same promise that through their descendants, through their line, the nations, all of the whole earth would be blessed. It continues on through one tribe of Israel, Judah. The line or the tribe of Judah is going to come from that tribe, comes a shepherd boy named David, and David receives a promise that his son, his son will sit on an eternal throne, and on and on the promise goes. And you're wondering who this seed is in this first gospel promise. The seed is going to come to crush the serpent's head. And ever since Genesis, we've been waiting until on a lonely night in Bethlehem. A baby is born, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those born under the law. God himself takes on flesh, puts on our humanity, and enters into our life to bear our burdens and our shame. Jesus shows up on the seam, the seed of a woman, and his purpose is to crush the serpent's head. You know, ever since, uh, ever since Genesis chapter 3, one way of talking about the cross and the open tomb is as that kind of crushing of the serpent's head, but also the serpent striking back. You, you see, the cross, when we usually talk about the cross, I mean, uh, when we talk about it most often, we talk about the cross as a victory. Jesus says some things like, it is finished. We talk about the cross as defeating sin and death, and it is. It's Jesus' blood being shed for you to justify you and declare you not guilty and to bring peace with God. And there's one way that the Bible has of talking about the cross like this. The cross is a failure. It's a real death. This is a death blow that Satan deals Jesus on the cross. The cross is, is a failure, and the open tomb becomes the victory. Our God brings victory out of death. The cross as a failure. That's not the way we're usually used to talking about it, right? Jesus says, it is finished, and yet he also says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, we know Jesus is God, and we sometimes forget that Jesus is completely human too. So that in His humanity, Jesus experienced the complete and total failure that is death. Jesus lost. And then, Jesus won. And I have to tell you, for me, that's that's an important way of being able to talk about the cross and open tomb because I know something about failure. I may name, my name's Justin, but sometimes it feels like it might as well be failure because I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to fail in my relationships. I know what it's like to fail in my commitments to other people. I know what it's like to fail in my job. I know what it's like to fail with my family. And that burden of failure is one we carry. And the fear of failure can control our actions, I just had a a conversation with a dear friend of mine this last weekend about stuff going on at his place of work, And, and he felt really under attack by people that should have been on his team. And the more we talked, the more he realized that at the heart of him feeling attacked by other people was a sense that he maybe wasn't good enough, or he was afraid of failing, or he was afraid of looking like an idiot at work. And when you're afraid of failing, you feel under attack. You bring out the excuses. You blame other people. You try to hide your shame. If you are defined by your failure, you live your life on the run. You're paralyzed. I know what that's like. So I am so thankful for this Genesis 3 promise that the snake is going to bite his heel. That this seed of the woman, this real human being, is going to enter into death and failure for me, too. You still have your hand out? Would you look at that that back page? There's some directions that come with it. I'm not going to ask you to do it in worship tonight, mostly because there's people sitting next to you. And, you know, they might cheat and look over your shoulder. but, But find a quiet moment. Here's what it says about the back of the sheet. The directions are on the inside. Failure and defeat are a common part of our experience in a fallen and sinful world. Amen to that, brother. On the cross, Jesus entered into our defeat. In his resurrection, Jesus turned failure into victory. Failure is a difficult burden to carry. Jesus invites you to lay that burden at the foot of his cross. You don't have to make excuses. You don't have to justify your failures. Jesus receives you as you are. Now, here are the directions. Inside the white cross on the back of this page, pencil in some failures that burden you. Do you have some that jump right to mine? Are they maybe sitting next to you? Don't look at them now, please. Are there some failures that jump immediately to mind that you could list on the white part of that cross? Hold those failures before Jesus and then... Then color over those failures in dark and confident colors. Jesus is alive and your failures are not permanent. You have a Savior who knows what it's like to fail. That's part of the meaning of that song we just sang. On that night, death had its way. Jesus failed completely in his mission. And yet, on that morning, we were saved. So that's the thing that defines me now. My name's Justin. I am not defined by failure. I am saved. I belong to the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the coming one. I I told you the snake who strikes the heel of the seed isn't identified as Satan until Revelation chapter 20. It also happens in Revelation 20 and 21 and 22. Jesus calls himself the coming one. Behold, I am coming soon. So I'm not defined by failure, friends, and neither are you. I'm defined by hope. Hope. Because my Jesus was laid in a tomb of failure, and on the third day, he burst forth in victory. That's my failure, too. That's my victory, too. And the day is coming soon when the Alpha and Omega will stand again upon the earth, and I will know my Savior face to face. you take that home with you tonight? Maybe sometime this week, fill out that cross and know this for sure. There is no failure that you have to be afraid of, no burden you have to carry. Jesus has won the victory already for you. Amen.
1: Of this one thing I am certain I am blessed beyond compare. Jesus saw me lost and broken and refused to leave me there. What a gift it is my Saviour, long so deeply. I hold his favor until I receive my part. On the earth he shed my burden on the cross he bore my shame. On that night, death had its way, but on that morning I
0: Those were the first two verses of Kip Fox's song on that morning. You heard me reference those lyrics during the sermon. That sermon was preached on Wednesday, March 4th, 2020, at Shepherd The Lakes Lutheran Church. Thanks for listening to this extra bonus episode of the Next Step Press podcast, where we help you take a next step. Thanks for joining us, and we'll continue this journey together. See you next time at Next Step Press.